Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Corks and Crime. It's a podcast about our two favorite things, wine and crime. I'm Heather. I'm Natalie. If this is your first episode, thank you for joining. And if you're a regular, welcome back. Um, Today, we are enjoying a bottle of Mark West Pinot Noir. What do you think, Nat? It's good. Just like you said when we first opened it, it was kind of peppery. I agree. It's opened up a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, It's still, I, I like it. And it's not that expensive. No, it's not at all. It's cheaper it's a pinot noir yes um so it's cheaper than um like joel got i think Mm -hmm. or josh um but it's so good yeah right it's kind of remarkably inexpensive yeah (laughs) for what it is but it's actually really good and you know i'm more of a white wine girl but if i do red i do the pinot noir and i appreciate you like indulging me in doing a pinot noir yes it's really good um so right now what are we listening to? It's a lot. It's a lot. Um, it's a podcast called Sick, um, and this is just season one. Um, so WFYI, um, Side Effects Public Media, puts it on. It's eight episodes in the first season, and um, this is how they describe it. Sick is, is an investigative podcast about what goes wrong in the places meant to keep us healthy. Six first season explores the complications of fertility medicine, one Indiana's doctor's abuse of power, and the generations of lives he affected. Which is what we're going to be talking about today, mm-hmm. which we're almost, we're like on the same spot with the podcast. We're almost finished. We're on the last episode. Yeah. And I basically binged, binged it. Oh, I did week. too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I remember hearing about this story on the news, but I didn't do that much with it mm-hmm. when I heard about it. I have lots of thoughts. I have a lot of thoughts and feelings, too. Which we'll get into. Um, there were a couple of articles, and the one that I think sums it up the best is one from the New York Times. There was another one I looked at, but it was really long, lengthy, had a lot of commentary. Yeah. Which I think it's more about the facts in this case, um, for me anyway. Well, if you want all the commentary, listen to Sick. Absolutely. Like, they do such a good job of interviews with the families that were affected, um, they do, they actually have interviews from Dr. Klein himself, yes, which do. is the infertility doctor. Um, not that he, he didn't agree to interview with them, but he had agreed in the past to do, he was deposed, I think. He was. Um, so they have a lot of his own words. So that gets into the nitty gritty. We're just going to talk about like the fast facts of right. the case. And I feel like, I mean, they did a great job. This is the first podcast that they've done. I don't know. Actually, I don't know that this is the first one they've done, but this is the first season of Sick. Yeah. And it's really good. It's The way so they did good. it. I mean, this is amazing. And our coworker is the one that told us about this. And I text her today and I was like, where do you get your recommendations? She, she's she the always, one who, she recommended Bad Batch to me. Yeah. She always about, has the best ones. And you know what she told me? What? Well, I followed CrimeCon 2020 on Facebook and there's always great commentary, which, hello, why am I not following them? I am now. How did we not know about this? I mean, I'm following them now. And and I'm embarrassed that I haven't been following them before. I follow them on Instagram, but not Facebook. So apparently on Facebook, there's a lot of chatter and what people are listening to. So now I follow you, CrimeCon 2020, on Facebook, and I'm going to promote um, Corks and Crime. <laughs> yes. yes. Oh, and good idea. Like, I just thought, like, oh, duh. Come on, Heather. Get it together. 
Right? I know. What See, are we doing? What are we doing? I know. I'm the least millennial millennial <laughs> there is. I'm like, what's a hashtag? Right. <laughs> hashtag this. So that's where she said she gets a lot of her recommendations. Huh. So now I follow follow you, CrimeCon2020, on Facebook. And thank you for this recommendation because it's a very good podcast. And I'm interested to hear what else they do because they're very medical. So that is right up our alley yeah i mean like i think every season is going to be about what goes wrong in the places meant to keep us healthy and i mean way to start it off with a bang with the fertility medicine which is so interesting and once you get in the nitty-gritty of it there's not a lot of like rules and regulations around it which is terrifying i know so I am going to basically read some of the excerpts from the New York Times article that came out in August 30th of 2018. The title is, A Fertility Doctor Used His Sperm on Unwitting Women. Their Children Want Answers. Yeah, Yikes. we all want answers. Yeah, we all do. So to couples at the end of their ropes who wanted children but could not conceive them for medical reasons, Dr. Donald Klein, remember that name, mm-hmm. was a savior of sorts, offering to match the women with sperm from anonymous men resembling their partners. Well, yeah. Well, let's that's just what he see. said. That's what he says. But apparently he <laughs> resembles all their husbands. Right. So many couples sought Dr. Klein out at his Indianapolis area fertility clinic during the 1970s and 80s, which listening to this podcast, it is insane how different the laws were, how different, like, everything was back then. Ethics, all of it. And that was not that long ago. No, not at all. It's crazy. But it's also crazy how much, how far medicine has come Absolutely. Since then. Yes. Um, because I think they cut, they do a really good job about talking about the history in the sick podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but they kind of say that, like, IVF wasn't really a thing. Not yet. Until like the early 90s. And I thought IVF dated much longer back than that. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's crazy. We work in labor and delivery and we have a pretty good amount of patients that go through IVF. Yes. And it's crazy that it's that new. But anyway. Right. So what the couples did not know was that an untold number of occasions, on an untold number of occasions, Dr. Klein was not using the sperm of anonymous donors. Mm-hmm. He was using his own. Yeah. Yikes. Without telling them. No, they had no idea. So now Dr. Klein's former patients and their children are asking questions. How many women did he deceive? How many children did he father? And also, why did he do it? Yeah. That's the biggest question in all of this. And when you listen to the podcast, it is just overwhelming. So, in some instances, state prosecutors said that Dr. Klein even told women that he was using their husband's sperm. But Yeah. That's the most troubling for the husbands to think that this was their own sperm that was being inseminated and then to find out that their kids aren't their kids. But he was using his own. Yeah. I have a huge theory about this. Should I go into it? Let's talk about it. For sure. I think he has a narcissistic personality for disorder. For sure, 100%. And I think he has a major God complex. Yeah. I mean, it, when you listen to the podcast, you'll hear that like he's this godly man, this Christian man, mm-hmm. but yet he's using his own sample, not telling these women what he's doing. And his whole thing is he always said he was using medical residents 
samples. Mm-hmm. And he also said he wouldn't use them, what, more than like three to six times or something. Right, which the foresight of him saying, oh, okay, well, I don't need to do that too terribly often because what if these children eventually meet each other and then there's a risk of incest. Right. And I remember seeing this on like a dateline or something. I don't remember. Or one particular woman was like, I specifically told him I didn't want a sample from someone that lived in this area Mm -hmm. because what's going to happen in 20 years? Right. Kind of a thing. So basically, he's leading these women to believe they're getting this anonymous donor that's a medical resident and they're only going to use them said times. But he's using his own. And they're also thinking that he's going out of his way to make sure that they match physical attributes right. to their husband. Right. Yet it's this like middle-aged this man. Yeah. At one, one of the children said later that her mother at the time was young enough to be his daughter. Right. That was kind of the first girl that came out, right? Wasn't yeah. that her mom? Jacoba. Yeah, Jacoba. Ballard? Ballard. Ballard. That's her last name. Mm-hmm. Anyway, off anyway. on a tangent, but so, we'll continue. So we'll move on. I mean, there's there's so much information that we're not going to go over because you can hear about it in the podcast. And it's very, I mean, this is over like years and years. Yeah. So basically, with the um, DNA kits now, 23andMe mm-hmm. to be one of them, you know, the first person that came out was Jacoba that we just mentioned. She had done a test and it comes out, holy crap. So a lot of these moms had not told their children, yeah, you're from like a donor sperm kind of a thing. Which, like, I think it's everybody's decision to make on their own whether they're going to tell their kids. I personally, if I, if my husband and I try to have kids and we can't on our own and they have to be like a donor egg or a donor sperm, I eventually would tell them. I think they would need to be at an age where they could understand it, like in their teens or maybe early 20s. But, like, they should have told them. Well, because now you're going to find out. Yes. With technology. I think that these parents didn't expect that technology would be where it was. Right. And that that you could find out that way during like you know what I mean like I don't think that they expected the DNA to be I mean they wanted to have a baby and he gave them a baby and you don't think anything else about it right you know the parents are they know what's up and some of them think that their own husband's sperm has given them their baby there are some of them that didn't do anything wrong because they didn't even know that that kid wasn't their husband's absolutely which is just crazy and and the thing that's even more baffling is it's not illegal what he did, technically. I know. That's what's crazy, is that it's yeah, not illegal. It's not illegal. I When I heard that on the podcast, I was like, yes, what? it is. I was like, yes, it is. It has to be. It has to be. It's extremely unethical. Right. But no, it's not illegal. And basically, they got him on felony obstruction of justice charges because he lied when they confronted him about it. Mm-hmm. And asked him if it was, it did he, did you use your sperm? He said no, initially. That he used the medical residence. Mm-hmm. And then he had this whole convoluted thing that if he did use his, it was for a reason. And it was because the moms were RH negative and he was RH negative, which is your blood type. And that basically if he could provide RH negative sperm to these RH negative mothers, then it would be less complications. However, 
there's a treatment for that. And there was a treatment for that back at then, the time. too. Right. Um, I think that that whole reasoning is frustrating as well because he told this to the children. That yes, once they, they came out. They contacted him and wanted answers. So they all went to a restaurant, and um, he said he went around the room, asked every single one of them what their occupation was. 50% of them were in the medical field. Also, he probably already knew, but also, why does he need to know that? What does that have to do with anything? I would kind of just be like, it's none of your business. Right. Don't worry about it. I don't owe you anything. No. So he asked them what their occupation was. After 50% of them said that they were in the medical field, he continued to say, well... I only provided my sperm to women who are Rh negative because it's safer for the baby because I too am Rh negative. Knowing that, but like knowing that there was a treatment, but also like you think that you're that smart that you can mm-hmm. trick people who are in the medical field. Like what? No, no. they they know that the Rogam is the treatment for that, and it already existed. It like, already existed back lying. then, and some of the moms came out that were not Rh negative. Right. So Some of them are lying. positive. Yeah. And it's insulting that you think that I'm dumb enough that I won't catch that. Exactly. Yeah. It's so frustrating. But they could only get him for obstruction of justice charges once. So basically, I think we need to backtrack. And I got ahead of myself and I'm sorry. The person we talk about, Jacoba, is the first one that mm-hmm. kind of figured this out with the 23andMe kit. So at that time, there was only like a handful of siblings. There was siblings. only eight of them. Well, now... There's 60 and counting. Yeah. So the question is, did you ever use a donor? Yeah. Or was it always you? Did you just throw away the resident samples? Because there was a nurse yes. that would collect samples from residents across the street. Because I guess his um, his office was across the street from a hospital. Mm-hmm. So she would go and get it and put it in her bra because you have to keep it warm. Right. But Gross. So she's picking up, like, when I heard that, I was like, ew. Like, she's picking up this test tube of a sample, Uh which we won't talk about, putting it in her bra to keep it warm, and taking it back. But then is he using it? Is he mixing it? What is he doing? So that was the other thing that was like, okay, you're clearly a narcissist, because he paid those boys. Mm -hmm. He paid those residents Mm -hmm. money, and then discarded the sample. Yep. That is It's so messed up. Yeah. So he basically said that he used sperm from anonymous hospital residents and that he used the same donor for only up to three pregnancies. He told them that all the records now have been shredded and that he did not recall any additional details. Because the problem, once this all came out, we were outside the statute of limitations, which sucks I know. so bad. Because, like, through... When I was listening to the podcast, too, I was like, let's hit him where it hurts. Right. In his pockets, and let's get his money from him. Well, because we both have the same question. Like, if this had happened prior mm-hmm. to this statute, would he be responsible for child support? Yeah. And all these things. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know either. And if it, there's ha- eight half-siblings, then that contradicts him saying that he only used it for up to three pregnancies. Well, he's a liar, and he he was caught in a lie in one of his depositions. So he told the siblings that he would put asterisks Mm -hmm. on On the the patient's charts that he used his own samples so that if the mother came back, they they would have, like, biological siblings. Mm -hmm. Okay. When the... um, 
is it, it's not the prosecutor. I think it was a detective that was questioning him I at the deposition. I think it was a detective too. And she asks him, well, how did you identify these moms? Well, I didn't. Okay, so you're telling me that you didn't put a star? Okay, well, yeah, I would put a star. So he doesn't, he does not tell the truth unless he is confronted with his lies. I mean, he's a liar. He's a narcissist. Like, he's a bad man. He's terrible. And he uses the Bible and God. Which I have a problem with. I have a huge problem with that. He uses that to justify his horrible actions. And, I mean, he basically, it. there was a, um, on one of the episodes of the podcast, there's a recorded conversation with him and Jacoba where he's basically like, I mean, you're jeopardizing my relationship with my yes, wife. he does. Come on. Yes, he says to her, he first tries to like level with her and say, yes. please don't go, and please don't go to the media. And she's like, you know, I didn't do this. You did this. Mm -hmm. And then he turns around and starts getting nasty with her and Mm -hmm. says that, like, you're going to be the downfall of a 50-plus year marriage. And, um, like, you're the one who's making me look bad. And I, like, said out loud to myself, like, are you freaking kidding me? (laughs) Right. Get out of here, you idiot. Like, you're the one who did all of this. Don't go around blaming her for your bad behavior. It's so messed up. I have so many thoughts about this. Because mm-hmm. I think these women, I feel so bad for these women that thought they're either getting their husband's sperm or this anonymous donor that's, you know, going to give me the child I've always wanted. Yeah, maybe I wouldn't have consented to your old fart DNA. Right. <laughs> Sorry, that was maybe rude. No, but I like, I like it. <laughs> but also, yeah, I mean, okay, so you're going to say I can do this random medical resident or we could just use mine. And the big question now is did he ever really use any of the donor's sperm? The fact that he has over 60 children out there. Mm -hmm. And what do you do if you're his wife or his children from his wife? What do you do? Also, I found it disturbing that he always wore cowboy boots. That's fine. Some physicians, whatever, you're older, you want to wear your cowboy boots. Even if you're not older, I don't care. But he always had a gun. And sometimes the gun in his boots. What are you doing with a gun in your boots? Yeah. Working at a nice... You're <laughs> in a hospital like, or a clinic. What? Yeah. And when he met the kids, Mm-mm. the first eight half-siblings that met him at that restaurant, he came in like toting a gun on his hip. On his belt loop. Right. right. And I don't know. Indiana, is this normal? I don't think so. It's not really that normal in Atlanta. No. I'm kind of uncomfortable if I see that. I'm, I'm uncomfortable. In this... Well, in this day and age, I'm uncomfortable. But... Also, I just don't know who you think you are that you can make that decision. <laughs> right. Are you the sheriff or are you the doctor? Well, like, and also you're going to make the decision, oh, I'm going to give you my sperm. Oh, and also, yes. <laughs> to talk about, I'm not going to even bring it up because it's uncomfortable to talk about in our podcast, whatever. But, like, you're going to, like, just, you've got all these free samples. You're busy. you got all these patients. You're very busy in what the office. What the hell? Yeah. Come on. Yeah. It's it's very disturbing, but I can say I'm glad that these half-siblings have, like, bonded together, the ones that want to, that, you know, they actually are sharing something. I feel bad for a lot of the parents that raised these kids. Yeah. These kids were, like, in their 20s and 30s when this came out, and they still have their relationship with the parents that raised them, which is so important, because in this situation, he's nothing but a sperm donor. 
Correct. Yeah. He's manipulative. Yeah. But he should not get credit for being anything other than that. Right. He is the reason, not the reason they're here, but like he, like, like their DNA is a part of, his DNA is a part of their lives. Yes. However, the people who raised them, loved them, gave them food and clothes and a shelter and like taught them how to be who they are, that's their parents. He's Absolutely. not their parent. He's not. And and he I should wish... get zero credit for anything, any yes. of their, any of their like good that they've done in their life. Right. Zero. I, agree. I am happy to say that there is now a law in the U.S. to to declare fertility fraud, which whoever thought we needed this, but we do apparently, because in the podcast you'll learn of another doctor in another state that's doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. It's disgusting. So when a doctor or healthcare professional uses their own sperm to impregnate a woman instead of a supposed donor without their knowledge, it's a felony. Which, I mean, it's been going on for how many years that we've been doing like artificial insemination? Mm-hmm. 30, 40 years? Right, yeah. And it's just now becoming a law. It's sad the things that we have to spell out. <laughs> but it's spelled out now. And I'm proud of this mom that it, she was a victim of his. Mm-hmm. That that made this happen. Yeah. And I think that's awesome. Yeah. And I think that the numbers are going to grow exponentially. I think he's got way more than 60 kids. And people who can take their like personal tragedy and turn it into something so productive mm-hmm. like this that can um, protect other people are just better people than me. Me too. And like just so smart and diligent mm-hmm. and saying like, okay, and, and instead of like sitting back and what I would do, which is like, woe is me and feel bad for myself. They don't do that. Like they stand up and they say, okay, well this bad thing happened to me and I'm going to make sure that it doesn't happen to right, anybody else. Make it better. Yeah. Because clearly if like nobody else is looking out for us, yeah, we it's... can't just sit around and let the American government decide for us, right. you know? So as disturbing as the topic is, you should definitely listen to sick. It's really good. I'm looking forward to what they're going to bring us next season. I know. Because this can't was just wait. season one. And it was really good. It was really I'm good. I'm almost finished, but it's awesome. And everybody should listen because this story is just um, what's the word I'm thinking of um, that just takes you over? I can't think of the word right now. But it, it like was captivating for me. Yeah. When I'm listening to it, I'm like, holy crap. Mm-hmm. I gotta keep listening. I gotta keep listening. I couldn't stop listening. No, I had I my AirPods either. in when I was Me getting too. ready, and Jonathan and I like went bowling on Saturday, whatever. So we were like getting ready to go hang out and he kept talking to me. So I kept having to like pause it. And I was like, can you stop talking to stop me? Stop talking to me. I'm listening. To like sick, I'm listening okay? to my podcast. And he was like, okay, whoa, <laughs> like slow down here, sister. No, it's really good. It's so good. I mean, I ate it up in like a week. I did too. Yeah. I just started it when we learned about it. What, last week or this Tuesday, week? Tuesday. I think, yeah. was that the day we worked together? I can't remember. It was very recent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's really good, and um, I think it also kind of makes you think about some things that you hadn't, like some themes that you hadn't really thought about. I'm just glad where our country is right now with ethics yeah, and informed consent, all of those things makes me very happy yes. because 30 and 40 years ago, it was not the case. And I think and women are valued more in our society today than they ever have been, which like is... 
Good. Yeah, when you listen to the podcast, and I also want to kind of go back to, do you remember the the, the person that they interview in the first or second episode that references a book about how baby, like it's called like Getting Out or something? She references a book about how babies were born or whatever. I will do more research on it. But I I'm need like, to re-listen because I, I don't remember that. I need to read that book. But it basically talks about like the evolution of how everything has happened. And it's a lot when you think about it. I mean, yeah. that was not that long ago. What I thought was really interesting was how, um, like the church and how people used to view like artificial insemination mm-hmm. and IVF and how they like, how people could be like cast aside for like going yes. and doing artificial insemination. And that wasn't that long ago. Like that was like no. the fifties and sixties when it was like taboo yes. to go and get help. It's crazy. And now it's like, it's totally normal. It's totally normal. It's our new norm. Yeah. It's not a big deal. But also like, our also our new norm is like women are getting pregnant at a later age. Mm-hmm. Which is good. Like, girl, go <laughs> do your traveling, live your life, right. and then have your kids. Mm-hmm. Like, so, yeah. I don't know. Check out Sick. Yeah. I think you'll like it. All right, Natalie, where can they find us on social media? Um, Quirks and Crime Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. And then also shoot us an email, quirksandcrimepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know where you're listening and what you're drinking. Yes, we need some wine recommendations. Yeah, we do. Yeah, I mean, we're we're doing okay, but we need some some recs. Also, um, what are you most, like, what's your favorite thing right now? So, for a couple years, I've been going to Orange Theory. Good. Nice. I went there and almost died. That's cool. (laughs) Um, Not really. And like, I feel like kind of cheesy saying this, but Orange Theory really has like, I'm not a runner. I'm going to start by saying that. Mm -hmm. I've never been a runner. I've never been good at it. But like, it has trained me to be a better runner. And like today, I ran like 2.2 miles on the treadmill. And I ran the whole time. That's awesome. Like, I didn't walk at all. And, like, through that training, like, I'm able to do something that, like, I never thought I would be able to do before. That's um, amazing. Yeah. And so it just, like, makes me feel better. Mm-hmm. And I'm not the type of person that can just go to the gym and, like, be responsible for my own workout. Because I'll be laying on the floor when I'm supposed <laughs> to be doing crunches and, like, on my You're Instagram. Like, I got it. I got it. I need someone being like, okay, let's go. We got to go to the next station. We got to do this. Yeah. Um. And yeah, like that is my biggest accomplishment with Orange Theory is that like I can now run for two miles, whereas like, I'm sorry, I couldn't do that before. And that may not be accomplishment to everybody, that's but it's a, a big accomplishment. accomplishment to me. No, as a non-runner, that's a huge accomplishment. Yeah, I'm I'm an indoor kid. <laughs> no, I'm proud I'm of not you. not a runner. That's so. amazing. Yeah, Go Orange Theory, go Nat. Yeah, so. So I won't talk about exercise. However, I am thankful for North Georgia wineries. Oh, yes. We have, we really do have lovely wineries really in North do. Georgia. I got married at one. It was beautiful. And they're lovely. They are. And I am going on a North Georgia winery tour at the end of this month, and I'm very excited. Well, when you come back, we can talk about all of the wineries. And yes, and my tastings and lunch and all the yeah. things. Some things that are cool that North Georgia wineries do, um, the winery that I got married at, it's called Monteluce. Um, they import California reds. Mm. Like they import the grapes and then make the wine in the winery. So it's still made at that winery. Yeah, their wine is really good at Monteluce. Yeah, because, I mean, because we have really acidic soil. Mm-hmm. So And our weather is insane. Right. It was snowing 
<laughs> on Saturday, and then on Sunday it was like what? It got up to I think like, like 50 mid, degrees. Mid, yeah, 50s or 60s. Yeah, so it's crazy down here. We can make some muscadines. Yeah, we can. But if you don't like muscadine, then you screwed. <laughs> but you, yeah, so that's what's cool about the North Georgia wineries is like maybe the all of the grapes aren't grown here. A lot of their um, white grapes are, but like their reds aren't. But they still make them in the winery, which is cool. Right. I'll give it up to North Georgia Wineries, and I will come back with my report. Yes, Because I good. love it. All right, thank you all so much for listening. All right, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, bye. bye.